You're listening to the Creatively Connected Classroom Podcast, episode number 36. Welcome to the Creatively Connected Podcast from Education Closet. Connecting teachers and ideas one glue stick at a time. Here's your hosts and K-12 Art Chat founders, Matt and Laura Grundler. This is Matt and Laura, and welcome to another episode of the Creatively Connected Classroom. And uh, we are kind of playing catch up a little bit with this one, and I'm I'm glad we are because I was thinking about it, and uh, it was kind of a, a differently run pod or uh, chat. Yeah. And uh, so, well, um, my good friend Michelle Redlin from Missouri is joining us today. Really excited to have her. Um, I had the honor of spending a week with her last year at the School for Art Leaders um, and getting to know her better, and just really enjoy um, our friendship and also the fact that we're very like minded in education. So reached out to Michelle and said, "Hey, can you host a chat?" And she she kind of said, "Well, I." Uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> because because she was also running the Missouri Art Educators Association conference at the same time. So a she curriculum slam a curriculum slam. So <clears throat> we're really excited to have you, Michelle. Um, I think probably most important to start with: who are you, and what do you <laughs> do in education? If you can tell the audience a little bit about your background, we'd love that. Sure. So um, I am an artist educator in Missouri, in a suburb close to St. Louis. I have worked at all different levels, from elementary to middle to high school, and um, started off in high school, switched to middle school, switched back to high school, and then um, became a curriculum content leader in my district. And now I work with teachers writing curriculum for our district in all of fine art, not only visual arts, but theater and music as well. And then because I miss the classroom, I teach our summer school program art classes sometimes as well. That's cool. That's amazing. That's awesome. I think it's really cool, too, that you've gotten a chance to branch out into the other fine arts areas. And as a curriculum content specialist, can you tell us a little bit more about your work? I mean, because that's an interesting job. I don't think that that's a job that all school districts have. True. They don't. Um, We're really lucky to have a full-time position dedicated to that. So we have a a really, what we call a robust curriculum cycle. (laughs) It's six steps. And we we write a very in-depth curriculum for each course that we offer. And so I work with teachers through each of our six steps of our curriculum. And I can probably give you a really long answer, which is we research best practices for whatever course we're writing one year. And then the next year we work on actually writing the curriculum. So we use the understanding by design model and we write all three steps in our curriculum. So we write the end result um, with standards and themes at the beginning that we move into a common assessment. And then we also do step three, which is writing sample lesson plans to help support teachers as they're looking at the assessments and the standards that they're supposed to be teaching in each unit. Then the following year, we do professional development and get ready to implement the curriculum and examine resources. The following year, we really implement with fidelity and then we monitor data. We do the common assessments and we look at data to drive our instruction and see how it's going. And then the sixth year we start over and we do a course evaluation and prepare to re-enter the cycle again. So I meet with teachers in all six of those steps. I visit classrooms and spend a lot of time looking at all those different pieces. 
Wow. I, I, well, no, I'm nerdy. So I get really, I'm like, I, I love that your district does that because I think a lot of times I've talked to so many teachers that have been in the same boat, but when I started teaching, I walked into a room with zero resources, zero Mm -hmm. curriculum, zero lesson plans, zero understanding of any, I mean, you know, I was straight out of student teaching and I had had some great mentor teachers, but they had a curriculum they were working in. And I walked into this situation where I had zero supplies and zero curriculum and you just don't know where to start. <laughs> right. um, so I think it's, it's really amazing. Um, also being a fan of understanding by design, I love that your questions definitely had that real, I could see that you were a UBD person because like your very first question was about um, big ideas and essential questions and how they inspire creative thinking. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we really, when I got started in this job about 10 years ago, we were really trying to figure out where has the creativity gone with our students? We were really struggling with, it seemed like students had been taught out of being creative or they no longer knew how. And so as a department in the high school that I was at, we really started to ask, well, how do you teach creativity? And so we tried to do research, but all of the books that have been written since then didn't exist yet. We, I wish they had been there. We were really starting from scratch. And so we really had to figure it out on our own. And we looked at what was what motivated students. And we realized that a lot of the things that we were doing created just very dry checklists. So, you know, did you include six colors? Did you mm-hmm. do the five kinds of line? Did you, and it was, it became a checklist for students that they weren't responding to authentically. And so we realized we needed to be asking them questions about what they wanted to make art about and what was going on inside their heads. And so that, that led us to big ideas and questions that we wanted to, to explore on their own, like authentic artists. And then I got into curriculum and I was like, oh, this UVD guy has it all figured out already. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of where that came. We started to really look at switching our approach to how we lesson plan and um, that translated into our curriculum. So like, well, how do artists make art? Artists don't wake up. To, I think to quote Olivia Judy and she said, you know, artists don't wake up and go, I can't wait to make art about wine. Five <laughs> nights of wine. Um, we really started to think about what questions do artists ask and where do they find these questions um, and how can we get students asking their own questions? I think that's awesome because one of your other questions that you already kind of hit on was how do you cultivate personal meaning making in your room? And I think you kind of <laughs> hit that, you know, in finding more out about the students. Yeah. Another big piece is really cultivating those relationships. So you really mm-hmm. have to dig into building a classroom community and get to know your students before they trust you to answer the questions you're mm-hmm. asking of them. So it was another big push for us. To take us in a different direction since you brought up Olivia Goudet. Shout out to <laughs> amazing Olivia Goudet. I Every time yeah. I hear her speak, I get really excited. Although... There's this conversation, and this is where it gets dicey. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's almost like there's these different camps in education, at least in art education right now, about teaching artistic behavior and process versus the product. Where do you think that your curriculum design fits into that? Would you label it? Would you put Um, a label on it on your teaching style? 
Oh, um, <laughs> I know. I told you I was going to get serious now. Yeah, let's Way see. Well, I'm definitely, I'm a big believer in process over product. I think students feel successful when they have a good end product, but you can't get them to a good end product without having them invest in the process. And yeah. so it's really a careful balance of getting them to ask their own questions or seek their own answers so that they take more ownership of their learning. So that being said, kind of going back to that, to what you asked about studio habits of mind, I really look at it and think about curriculum and standards through, through maybe a different way than other people do. I really look at it through a three-dimensional learning model where it's not just about, you start with the standards, but then you throw in skills with media. Right. And then you also bring in, and by extension, we're teaching habits or dispositions. And so it's really important for me uh, to have all three of those things working together to create a full, full instructional model. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I think we're kind that's of well, that's exactly how I feel about it, because mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time really putting a label on. I absolutely believe in process is the place where the learning really happens and the meaning making mm-hmm. really occurs. Um, yeah. But I also do agree that an end product must have a strong process and product is also where the creative confidence is built, you know, for for that creative confidence, you know, they're excited about that end product. That's where that confidence gets really, and you can't throw out the baby, you know, the, what is that? Throw out the bathwater with the baby or whatever you say, you know, like, I mean, well, you know, those of us that are a little older, we're trained in a very formulaic model and I'm not necessarily a fan of that either. But I do think that you have to have the skills and you have to have the variety of media. And it can't just be, here's your buffet of art media, go for it and make meaning on your own. You can't, that's just not, that's not authentic learning. That's not deep critical thinking. Yeah, and I really think it's important. I mean, we're talking about art education in schools. It's different than us making art on your own. And I think it's important to recognize that we have a role to play as educators in in offering expertise and what we have to offer from life experience to share that with our students. And I think if we are only a person, a body in the room, then that's dangerous. And so you really have to think carefully about what you bring to the studio environment. And you can't just let students run loose, I guess. I think as an instructor, you have to have a sense of instructing in the sense that where you're you're teaching them you know because as you, as their students in your classroom you have to be able to say hey you know what you're you're building their experience and saying mm-hmm. this is what that material does mm-hmm. and you know teaching through that mm-hmm. and then allowing that experimentation and that exploring i think after that so well and i i know this discussion is very art education centric but i think that one interesting piece to the puzzle at least for myself and a lot of our teachers have, as we've gone through curriculum design is that we think in terms of projects. That's mm-hmm. how our teachers think. But when mm-hmm. you really look at curriculum design, you have to think in terms of units yeah. and that there's all of these components yeah. that lead to that end assessment, yeah. which in yeah. our case is often a product, but that it's, it's your scaffolding, all these skill builders, all of these pieces mm-hmm. leading up to the student making that end assessment happen. And I think it's real hard to kind of switch gears and think beyond the project and think of, of how you 
at least I'm in working with a lot of my, my teachers, we've, we've just, and I'm including myself in that. I mean, when I started teaching, it was, okay, we're going to do a contour line project. Yeah. All right. Now we're doing the value study project. You yeah, know, and, exactly the same way I was. And it, was yeah. it was a real mind shift. I had to really wrap my head around my own artist identity besides my educator identity. I struggled, I think, as a beginning teacher for a real long time with this duality of I'm a teacher on this side and I'm my artist self on this side. And for some reason, I was keeping them separate. And I, I had to realize how do I bring them together and how do I really embrace those habits, those dispositions, yes. those habits of mine that I use as an artist, how do I bring those into my classroom and how do I cultivate them in my students? And so I had to really shift from thinking in terms of projects to thinking in big ideas that artists explore and they often explore them through series of work or maybe even their whole, their whole career. Mm-hmm. You know? And so what kind of, what kind of topics do I expose students to so that they're interested in exploring them or how do they do their personal take on it? So it really, when I was able to finally kind of shift my own thinking to that, it became a lot easier and I stopped thinking in terms of projects. I'm sorry. I know I'm dominating the conversation, but this is just exciting. <laughs> well, you know, I've been really thinking a lot about this is just timely because the AP College Board is changing yeah. the way the studio is going to be next year, the studio portfolios. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting to me because it fits so nicely with all the work we've been doing with UBD and essential questions and exploration and big ideas. And yeah. uh, what you just said rings so true because I've been working through with the expectation of the change in how that that AP college board piece is going to look. I was just exploring it for myself in, in terms of a process journal and looking at how do we document process? How do we explore ideas? And for me, working within a series and mm-hmm. how am I exploring these couple of ideas within this one series of work? And it's been really interesting. I think that all of us as artists and teachers really need to just like you said, bring those two halves of ourselves together. And then the, the students will have the best, the best of us. Hi there. This is Susan Riley, founder of Education Closet. If you love these conversations with Team Grundler and friends, please be sure to check out K-12 Art Chat on Twitter. The chat is held every Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Central, and it's a great way to continue the conversation. Just go to twitter.com and search hashtag K12ArtChat. We look forward to chatting with you over there soon. Now let's head back to the show. Every time I start to think about a question that I'm going to ask, you've already answered it in the previous <laughs> statement. So I'm like, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think you, you started to hit on something earlier where you were talking about where has creativity gone? Yeah. And I've, you know, I, and I know as an educator, we sometimes go, well, who else can we look to other than the the top five that are all carved in stone? And No, I think the thing is, is just like with the kids, we just have to look harder. We see more and more through Instagram. We see more and more through social medias. We see more and more through, I'm finding more and more artists that I'm coming in contact with to be able to pull into my classroom and say, and I've actually even had these artists be able to interact with my kids through FaceTime or they did a video of all my kids' questions that they asked. I typed them all up, sent them to this artist. And they did a video answering all the questions that they asked. So it was just kind of cool to be able to say, you know, we've talked with this artist and we've, you know, and this is their story or this is, you know, where they pull their information from or their inspiration from. So. Well, I think, I think, I mean, you, one of your questions, <clears throat> Michelle, was about 
contemporary artworks and artists and how you bring that into your classroom and for our students and where they live they live in social media a lot of them so to bring in the instagram component Mm -hmm. is bringing in contemporary art i think that that's a very valid place for a lot of our kids i think that a lot of them look to instagram to find up-and-coming artists or people that they're drawn to and i think that uh that if we're not doing that then we're not staying up with our kids Yeah, I think that's been another big transition for us was realizing, I don't know, a lot of teachers I work with and myself included for quite a while, we're really intimidated by contemporary art because Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily understand it or it wasn't as accessible to learn about it before you would go see it. Art 21, another shout out there, has been Mm -hmm. so instrumental in opening the door to contemporary art and helping people understand it and, and hearing from contemporary artists and just kind of exploring that world. And it has been, it's been another big shift where, you know, it's not, we're not just sharing traditional artists that have been in this canon, you know, that we recognize as being the great, but now we're talking about the greats that walk among us and Mm -hmm. we're looking at who's creating artwork now and how do we, you know, that, that instant access to their artwork that they're creating Mm -hmm. through social media and through things on the internet that you're actually able to gain a greater understanding and you're really able to reach out to them and another great thing that I love about our transition when we when the when the new national visual arts standards came out we we were all on board because it really fed into what we were discovering about student creativity and how to reinsert that and so we really love that and embrace the process and we really got to this idea that we have to also teach how do you discern good art from bad art is there such thing as good art Mm -hmm. or bad art and so when you're looking at contemporary art how do you know that the person you're looking at like how do we we were kind of looking at them through that old lens of is this person is this artist going to be one of the greats that we will then look at you know many many years from now and then we kind of almost transition past that to it doesn't matter they're making art and we want our students to make art it's all about the creative act and the process. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just thinking about... Coons. $91 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, I, I see your face. I agree. <laughs> I got yeah. into a whole debate. I was, you know, it, but the person I was talking to... Okay, so for the, our listeners that maybe aren't staying up with the art world, Coons just sold a reflective Playboy bunny rabbit for $91 million dollars. And it has a lot of thought about contemporary society about it. And it's, it's all about looking at yourself and the reflective blah, 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 blah. I'm being a little facetious right now. Mm-hmm. But I think that it goes back to that question about good art and bad art. And, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of at least being able to have a conversation. Like when I think about UBD, I think about those enduring under- understandings. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm realistic to know that most of our students aren't going to be fine artists working in a studio. They're going to be citizens of our world that need to be able to have a conversation about something they saw on the news, like a piece of art selling for $91 million and why they feel or don't feel that it's worth that or what makes it good art or bad art. That's what I want for students is to be able to walk away from a class, you know, in high school and feel like, oh, I can have, I can hold a conversation about this. I know enough, I can say why. you know, to, <laughs> to be able to have an opinion and have a, 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 some discourse. Yeah, I, I have a lot of fun <laughs> feelings about Coons as well. I think it was the Sundance channel forever ago. We used to have these really, this really great show where they would have somebody not connected 
another famous person interviewing another famous person and somebody chose to do Jeff Koons and he brought him into their studio and basically exposed that he has this, all these students working for him. He takes their ideas and has them execute them and puts a name on them. And I was like, no, that's not his idea and not his hand involved. Like, oh, it totally shattered the mythos of Jeff Koons for me. Right. And then I thought, that's a great thing to bring into my classroom. Like, can an artist call himself an artist if it's not his idea and it's not him making it, but yet he's the one cashing the check? Is it like, mm-hmm. is he doing all the, the work of selling it? Is it selling the idea? Does that make you an artist? So anyway, I've got lots of opinions on tunes that we can talk about. But <laughs> um, when, you were, when you were talking about, you know, the traditional versus the non-traditional or the contemporary, one of my favorite questions that I love to lead into, especially if we've taught something really traditional like printmaking or calligraphy or whatever it is, something that is can be traced back as far as it possibly can. One of the questions I love asking is how do you use something that's traditional in a non-traditional way? And to see a lot of really contemporary artists who do printmaking but not necessarily do it in the sense of how it was done way back then. And it's just interesting to get and hear their conversations about it. So yeah, absolutely. I do I think that's great. One of our one of our units that we have at our middle school level is tradition. And it's, you know, one of the questions is would you break from tradition or would you choose to follow tradition? And so it's the kind of the same idea of let's look at what artists have done in the past and how have they taken in a craft or an idea and turned it on its head or how have they embraced it and taken it further. I love that, bringing the new with the old together. Well, and I was just reading, one of your questions you've said was, what do you do when a student gets stuck either with an idea or process? And mm-hmm. I think just the questions. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, that's where when they're stuck, I just start asking them more questions. Mm-hmm. Clearly, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to ask those questions when you have a relationship with the student. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think just helping them dig in and that being stuck as part of the process sometimes that you have to move past that. And what would your suggestions be for helping the stuck student? Oh, that's a great question. Because a lot of it's getting them jump started, right? Mm-hmm. So I usually tried. I'm trying to think of a title of a book. I had this great book in my art room and it was basically just a book of questions. It was like something about being ignorant or asking ignorant questions. Like I wish I could remember the title. But <laughs> I would have them, you know, I always had little things like like that. And I would say, thumb through this book. See, the thing about artists is art is everywhere and ideas are everywhere. And it's about really observing your world and seeing what sticks out to you. What do you see over and over again that you just can't get out of your head? What things in your point of view are doing that for you in your world. You know, art is this, you know, it's that idea of art being a window or art being a mirror mm-hmm. and how we either reflect our world or we open open the world to see it from new perspectives. And it's important to nurture that, that way of thinking in students so that they have a way to look at the way they see the world as being important. And it doesn't have to be like everybody else's. And so I would, I would try to start every, every unit with exposing them to something new getting them engaged in some way. So that might be through looking at a work of art that they had never thought about looking at before or looking at the work of an artist or hearing them talk. Sometimes it was a quote. Sometimes it was coming through this book or letting them go through experiences that things would happen or would select themselves for them at random. So throwing pieces of paper up in the air that would have words or ideas in the air and they'd have mm-hmm. to pick one. So lots of different things like that, I guess, to really, you know, but that was, that was to get them jumpstarted when they get stuck. Again, it's a lot of the times for me, it was really sitting down with students and 
talking about where they were getting stuck? Was it, you know, was it stuck in the terms of I can't get the media to do what I want it to do? What's in my head? What I'm picturing? And if that was the case, then it was, well, maybe let's set that aside and like, let's go do something else. So if you're working with colored pencils, let's maybe do oil pastels or something completely different that will free up your way of mm-hmm. thinking. Let's do something more fluid. Or if it was the idea piece, it was more about, well, what's going on in your world? And I'd have them go off on a tangent. We'd have a conversation about something. And I, I said, is, has anything that we've talked about, has it been meaningful enough that you might want to explore what it means to share that with somebody else? So it kind of depends on how they're stuck. That's true. Okay. So I guess, I mean, kind of as we conclude our, our conversation, what kind of last bits of words of wisdom would you impart on anybody Uh, that we haven't already talked about maybe? um, Or maybe what would you suggest about someone getting started, someone getting started with revamping curriculum or making this curriculum shift to make it more meaningful or more meaty? That's a great question. I think a lot of it is about staying curious, right? It's about it's about being curious yourself, and it's also about fostering curiosity in your students. And so, how do you feed that for yourself? Do you go look at art? Do you do you expose yourself to things that you wouldn't necessarily have tried before or explored before? And how can you share those new experiences with students? And how do you bring that in, into your classroom and, and bring the world into the classroom? work with your students. Wow. I love it. (laughs) Sometimes when we have these conversations, I just wish like we could get everybody in one room and do something amazing. You know, I was just like, you know, we've been rewriting our middle school curriculum and I'm like, oh, I want a unit on tradition. We don't have that unit. We have, what do we have? We have artistic investigation. We have identity responsibility. Like we have some good ones for middle school, but I'm like, Oh, didn't think about that one. All these great brains together. I think just pulling, pulling those essential questions or those big ideas to start off that no matter what, what unit it might be involved in, I think you can still pull that in. Yeah. I think, I I think that I loved that that was your very first question about the big ideas and the essential questions. Cause if we're not bringing those in and continually bringing them in, it's, it's not about just having a question on the board. It's about really digging into the question. And I, I think that that's something that we just need to continue to do. And I love that you said we need to continue to be curious because I don't know about you, but I'm always learning every single day. Yeah. Sometimes I don't even want to be the one. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Most of the time I do. Yeah. Well, uh, Laura, I like what you said about bringing everybody in the room together. So I started a website with that same idea. So um, through curriculum, Optimistic Discontent. I don't know if you've looked at it, but and the title comes from like, I'm an optimist, but I'm also discontented with the way things are we're continuing to go. And so I'm not just going to sit and be curmudgeon about it. I want to continue to work on things and be infinitely curious. And I'm optimistic about making progress. So the website was all about curriculum writing as a resource and then getting people. I would like to, I need, this is where it's lacking is I need more people to find it. So they're, we're sharing those ideas. So like the units that you feel like are really good themes and big ideas. I'm sharing this with other people. On oh, I love well, that. I'm so glad you just shared that. Say it one more time for the audience so they can find it. It is optimisticdiscontent.com. Easy. Cool. All awesome. right. Yeah. And we will share it out to oh, our yeah, audience sure. as well. So 
That's really exciting. I think, I mean, and I think that that's what Creatively Connected is all about, is coming together to continue to improve education across our country, you know, and to bring in the creative components into all classrooms, not just the art room. So I love it. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining us in the inclement weather that you're in right now and in (laughs) Tornado Alley. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Well, you know, we'll be talking again soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. Heads up, 7-Up friends. If you've been enjoying these episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Creatively Connected Classroom podcast. You'll get a notification every time we release a new episode each and every week. And take a screenshot and put it on your favorite social media. Twitter, Insta, Facebook, you name it. Tag Education Closet and K-12 Art Chat so we can reach out and say thanks. And if you really love us with all the feels, give us a review and or a rating over on iTunes. It helps others find the show and connect with our incredible community. Thanks for all your support.